it happens more times than we'd probably like to admit. You know how it is, you've had a hectic day, a day that's so busy you can't even think. And finally, the day is over and you have that chance to crash on your pillow ready to get that rest that you've so desperately needed all day long. And eventually, after some time, you doze off. You're gone. And then it happens. Suddenly, it's usually 3 a.m. when it happens. You wake up and a rush of thought enters your mind. You're exhausted, but your mind is wide awake. You think about your day, all that you did and all that you didn't do your regrets, your future, you think about your doubts, your questions, your fears, and the longer you lay there, the longer your mind is filled with these thoughts. Now, some people have remedies for these midnight intrusions of thoughts. They say you can count sheep, but most of us need more than sheep. You got to get up, get out of bed, walk around the house, work the thoughts out, let the dog out, turn the TV on, make a sandwich, make a to-do list, something, anything to put your thoughts to sleep so you don't have to listen anymore, repress whatever it is that is trying to come out in the middle of the night and get back to that peaceful rest. Beds can be scary places. What is it about the silence of the night that brings up so many shadows? Things you haven't thought about in years, all of a sudden, in your mind, in the middle of the night, voices you haven't heard in years, now speaking at 3 a.m. In our text this morning, when Samuel is first awoken and hears his voice, he's still a boy. And he assumes that that voice is the priest Eli. Now, let me refresh our memory about Samuel. Remember, this is the boy born out of promise. His mother Hannah had been barren without a child. Her husband had other wives, as they tended to do those days. And all the other wives had given him children. But she had not. And in a culture like hers, where a woman's worth was dependent on what she could do for a man, unlike today, right? Being barren meant that she was worthless. So Hannah prayed and prayed desperately to the Lord that God would give her a son. If she had a son, she promised to give that son back to the Lord. And that's what she did. God gave her a son. And when she finally gave birth to Samuel, she dedicated him to God. And he was raised in the temple by the old priest Eli. Now, I was thinking this week as I was reflecting on what life might have been like for Samuel, that Samuel would make a good patron saint for preachers' kids and children of active church leaders. You know, kids, you know who you are, who feel like you're practically raised in the church while mom and dad sit in meetings. Samuel can relate. Temples, churches, they can be fun places to grow up. They can also be scary places. They're big, they're dark, they creak, and they moan. For us adults, they can be scary places too. But maybe for other reasons. Being in these holy places, well, it's sometimes like waking up at 3 a.m. All your regrets, your fears, your doubts are suddenly right in front of you. No denying it, no repressing it. Memories of your youth, memories of your parents when they used to take you to church. Churches can be scary places. You never know what's hiding inside, what voices may speak to you. But sometimes it's not 
the voices that are scary. Sometimes it's the silence that is scary. The voices of your youth that were once there are no longer there anymore. You ask questions, but you get nothing in response. And we're told that Samuel's time was like that, a time of divine silence. The word of the Lord was rare in those days, the text said. Visions were not widespread. And it seems strange, doesn't it, for Old Testament times. If you, you know, just look at the highlight reel, the big stories of the heroes of the faith, God seems to always be talking, calling people, showing up on the side of mountains, on the sides of beds. You would think this is the way they always, things always were. But in between the Moseses and the Samuels, there was often silence, years, hundreds of years of silence, a profound, fearful silence. If God was not talking, they wondered why. And when the silence is finally broken, it's broken to a young boy. A boy, we're told, is so young he doesn't even know the Lord yet. In spite of growing up in the temple, in the house of the Lord, he doesn't know God, which I guess goes to show us that you can be in the house of the Lord all your life and still not know God. So when Samuel hears his voices at 3 a.m., he thinks it's Eli. It makes sense. Here I am, he says, and he runs to Eli's room, expecting the old priest to be in need of help. And the old priest, needing some sleep, tells him, go back to bed. I did not call you. Samuel, maybe he just heard something, the creaks, the moans of the temple. So he goes back to sleep, but he hears it again, and he runs to Eli, but it's not Eli. And he hears it, goes back to bed, and he hears it again, and he runs to Eli. And this time, here I am, Eli. And Eli's beginning to figure it out. He's been a priest for a while. Maybe he's learned a thing or two. Go back to bed, Eli said. But the next time, don't wake me up again. The next time, just answer the voice. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And Samuel obeys. The voice calls again. Samuel replies, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And God speaks. It takes courage to answer back the voices that speak to us at night. We run, we hide, we try to drown them out, but Samuel finally listens, and God speaks. Now, we didn't read the rest of the story this morning because it's not very good. When God does speak, it's not pleasant. Samuel is told of all the evil that Eli's sons, the sons of the priests, preacher's kids, were doing. They were exploiting their priestly power. They were sexually abusing the people in the very temple. And they were living lavishly off the temple collection plates. These are the priests of God, Eli's sons. And Eli knows what they're doing, but he ignores it. And we don't know if God had tried numerous times to speak to Eli in the middle of the night, to shake some sense into him. But if he did, Eli sure wasn't listening. Maybe he was afraid of what would follow. So God speaks to Samuel instead. Eli's son's days are numbered, Samuel is told. Their abusive ministry will soon be put to an end and justice will come back to the temple of God. That's not the kind of message that a boy looks forward to receiving. It's not the kind of message any of us would want to receive. I'm sure Samuel wishes he would have just ignored the voices, counted some sheep and went back to bed. 
Now, I guess we could say that we, like Samuel, live in a day which the word of the Lord is rare, where visions are not widespread. Usually when someone tells me, God spoke to me, I'm a little skeptical. Those who occasionally claim that God speaks to them usually do so in order to gain my vote or to tell me which group of people God is displeased with this time. And if that's God speaking, well, it sure doesn't sound like God to me. But I'll be honest, I don't know if God is still speaking to me or to anyone these days. And it's easy to just say no and just go about our lives. Yet the 3 a.m. wake up calls still come. The voices still speak. Often it's the voice of a friend or a mentor. Sometimes it's through something I've read, a memory that suddenly fills my mind. Is God silent in our day? Or are we just not listening? These days we fill our life with so much noise, so much activity, always a cell phone to play with, a TV show to binge watch. It's hard to have any moment alone with our thoughts. If God is trying to speak, it'd be hard to hear it through all the noise. And I wonder what would happen if we just turned everything off and in the silence simply said, speak, Lord. For your servant is listening. Sounds terrifying, doesn't it? We don't say that enough, perhaps because we're afraid. We're afraid that we'll get an answer? Or are we afraid that we will answer the voices and hear nothing at all? Maybe the voice will ask us to change, to finally confront the things that we are trying to avoid. Maybe the voice will ask us to act on our dreams instead of putting them off and making excuses. Maybe the voice will call us to lay down our fears, our prejudices, to trust more, to follow more, instead of hiding and avoiding. And I was thinking this week as we reflect on this text, as we reflect again on the life of Martin Luther King, I don't know if he heard voices as a child, but he certainly heard a voice and he answered God's call on his life. What would the world have been like if, if he just turned over and went back to sleep? Instead, he says, here I am. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And God gave him a message, a message that was not easy, but one that needed to be spoken. So what is waking you up at night? Could it be God? The next time you think it might be, maybe the old priest Eli does have some good advice this morning. Maybe we should just answer. Don't get up. Don't run to try to find something else to do. Just say, here I am. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You probably won't hear a voice. Maybe you will. Maybe it won't be an audible one like Samuel. But maybe you will hear something. When you stop avoiding your life, when we really stop, start listening to our thoughts and to our fears and our doubts and our questions, what do we hear? What is God speaking to us? What is God calling us to do? But be careful. Once you hear God's call in the night, once you answer and say, Lord, I am listening, the journey begins and there's no going back. There's no unhearing what God will speak. So here we are, Lord. Speak. We are listening. 